men rising up to end the silence around us about the chains that bind us to dispel the darkness of illusion with luminous spiritual technologies to finally become the hero within us all Hare Krishna everyone this is episode 41 of Arise the Honest Man's podcast I am Karun Avatar Das with me my beloved co-host Jai Jagannath Prabhu and for the very first time we have a highly esteemed um, guest on our show Madhavananda Prabhu uh, I'll just give a brief introduction of Mad Madhavananda Prabhu if anyone is not familiar with him he is the chief editor of Gopalju publications um, an historical researcher, a teacher, and he's been a pilgrimage guide for many decades. He's also the director of the Gaudiya, Gaudiya Research Association, uh, at, which is part of the Bhaktivedanta Research Center. And he truly has a wealth of knowledge and realization and articulates his perspectives in a very, very unique, beautiful way. Um, and this combined with his sense of grounding and his down-to-earth mood makes him a truly beloved teacher in our devotional community. So we are deeply grateful to have Madhavananda Prabhu with us. And uh, I'll perhaps just let Jai Jagannath Prabhu introduce this very interesting topic. <clears throat> um, just before I get to that, Madhavananda looks like he's come up twice <clears throat> in our thing. You see that there? I don't know. Yes, yeah, I think I'm... About. Should I just click on? Okay, no, it's yeah. okay. All right, I've, I've just okay. removed it. Yeah, so Madhavananda Prabhu, thank you so much for agreeing to come on. This is truly exciting. Um, just a little bit of a quick background how you ended up being on the show. On our episode, about two or three episodes ago, we did an episode called You're Condoning Sex, said sarcastically because we were getting a lot of criticism about some of the previous hosts that we had on. And when I posted the blurb for that particular episode, you made a comment on there that if you talk about the, I'm reading directly from your comment here on the <laughs> Facebook post. Uh -oh. You said, if you talk about the literary and archeological artistic tradition of porn, in the Gaudiya Vedic tradition, it uh, might be politically incorrect, you know, and then it got a lot of like, laughs. And, <laughs> and I was like, yo, can, yo, can we do that? And you were you were quite obliging. And um, you and you said, I can't do it. It's an interesting topic. However, don't ask me to provide a slideshow. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's how we're here right now um so yeah that's kind of the start of this particular conversation i don't know if you wanted to comment more on that but that that's how we got here right now and we're or we thought it would be a unique i mean i guess because when we think vedic culture especially shuddha bhakti Gaudiya vedic culture you think it's although our highest idea has the amorous element to it or the, the, the emative element to it, it doesn't actually strike us as amorous because it's pure. So to hear the word porn and pure Godia things like juxtapose, it's like, like what? And um, I don't know. So if you want to comment on that as a sort of just a, a springboard into the conversation. Yeah, I, uh, I've been living in, in Puri and in, in, in Orissa for 25 years. Wow. And I've been to the Konark Temple a number of times. And there's a lot of erotic sculptures on there. In fact, there's uh, 
two girls, lesbian things going on in so many different uh, very, very graphic uh, erotic sculptures. And I've also seen it, it it's going on in Bhubaneswar, some of the ancient temples. On the Jagannath Mandir itself, I haven't been inside, but there's on the walls of the Jagannath Mandir on the outside. And also an Alarnath Temple and many, many temples in India. And it's been interesting to me. I, I remember coming across something by Jagadananda Das. I read that. With, yeah, I read yeah, that article. So. Yeah, he wrote some some interesting things about this. And there's also, I've come across uh, one scholarly book by uh, Devangana Desai, who wrote a book called Erotic Sculpture of India. And everybody basically has the same problem or the same kind of question, you know, how, you know, we're used to Bhagavad Gita, Kamais Taish Terhitta Gyana, you know. Right. <laughs> Anybody who's lusty, they have no brain. And, and it's, uh, it's a very interesting thing to me. And I've contemplated this topic for a long time. And I, I think I've digested something of, at least I have a way to digest it. Let's put it that way. Mm. And, uh, I, I, I think you'll be interested in it. And I, and I, I appreciate your, your, uh, your blog here that you're doing. And I, I think perhaps one of your purposes is you want to try to stretch people's minds a little bit, broaden their minds a little bit. Absolutely. And this is a good subject for that. It's also a good topic, too, because even for the most uh, chaste and, and conservative amongst us, uh, they'll probably come in touch with this subject sooner or later, or maybe someone may challenge them. You know, look, you people talk about celibacy, <laughs> and I was just in Conark, and wow, <laughs> it's pretty intense. And uh, what gives? And can right. devotees have a good response to that? And I think they can. There are some interesting theories, as Jagadananda points out in his paper, and this, those theories are okay. We, we can mention some of those as we go along. But anyway, that, that's that's kind of my inspiration for it. I, I like your your mood of broadening people's minds, making them think a little bit. And to do that, sometimes we need to be a little bit shocked because we, we have some certain standards. And I was just telling, for those who are watching, I was just telling uh, the devotees here, Jai Jagannath Prabhu and Prabhu, what's your name again? Karuna Avatar. Karuna, Karuna Avatar. Avatar. I'm sorry, I just got introduced to you. That's really terrible. Please forgive me. <laughs> no problem. No problem. Karuna Avatar Prabhu. And Jai Jagannath, I was just telling him that, that uh, you know, gee, I hope I don't like get banned and <laughs> beaten, tarred and feathered somewhere or something for this. Because it's really a lot for devotees to digest. And as we were speaking with him before, I don't even want to get into details because it's it's just too far out it would be really shocking <laughs> it's, it's, it's serious stuff <laughs> but how do we digest it and why was it there that that's our real purpose right that, that i see. absolutely prabhu thank you so much for for leading into it so nicely in that way uh, i'm just interested to ask you on a slightly more uh, personal level just for anyone who's listening that aren't so familiar with you and your story, uh, would you would you like to maybe just tell us like a very concise, but yet, you know, um, a solid kind of just timeline of your journey in Krishna consciousness and your devotional service? Just, you know, how, how did you 
I mean, I guess it could be, it could take, it could be a whole story, but just kind of like, just your general sort of journey through Krishna consciousness to where you are today. Sure. In 1972, I was 12 years old, and uh, I we used to go into some abandoned houses like little boys like to do. And I, at that time, I was reading a lot of different, I liked uh, reading about uh different mythology, Greek mythology, Roman mythology, and different religious traditions. I, my father was an artist and, and they were, we had kind of an eclectic, broad-minded community that I was living in. And I went into this abandoned house and I saw these pictures on the wall, which now I know they're from Krishna book. And I remember just staring at them for hours and I couldn't figure them out. And I thought, man, I, I thought I know the major mythologies in the world. And obviously this must be something about God. I could pick that up. But who's this blue boy and all these girls and cows? And, <laughs> and ironically, somehow, this is in 1972 in America, that was around that time I became a vegetarian. And uh, I never liked meat. I didn't know any vegetarians. Uh, but I just didn't like it, and I just decided to do that around that time. And I, I think perhaps it was because of touching Srila Prabhupada's books. Mm -hmm. And then later yeah. in like 1978, I met uh, the devotees at uh, the Rainbow Gathering in Washington State. And uh, then I, I would come across some different ways. I started reading some different books of Prabhupada, but I wasn't really... Uh, impressed by them until one devotee, I was a street musician and traveling and one devotee, we went to Tucson, Arizona. He gave me his book of uh, teachings of Lord Chaitanya. And he said, mm. this book, this is the only copy I've got. And this book is really good for you. And and, and I had science of self-realization and, and uh, chant and be happy and Gita. And none of those books really touched me. But I started reading Teachings of Lord Chaitanya, which is like supposed to be, it's Prabhupada's probably most philosophical thing. And I wasn't so philosophical, don't get me wrong, but it just blew my mind. And just the phrase devotional service. So it's a long story. I, I was living in a cave around that time, shortly after, in Mount Lemon in Arizona, and trying to chant Hare wow. Krishna. And it was pretty dry, trying to live by yourself in a cave. And so I decided I got to find the devotees. So I came down to uh, uh, Austin, Texas, which is the nearest place there in uh, Tucson, Arizona. Excuse me. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. No, it was in Austin. Yeah, it was in, let me thinking, Tucson, Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, when I came down, I mentioned to somebody that I met on the street. Yeah, you know, those Hare Christians are really cool people. And they said, wow, you just missed them. They were at the university. And I said, oh, man, I really. And he said, but don't, you know, there's a sitar concert going on tonight. So I liked music and especially Indian things. So I thought, yeah, I'll go to the sitar concert. And I went there and I saw they had a festival of India going on. And they had these guys with shaved heads with baseball caps. <laughs> and it was Charu Prabhu and Maduha Prabhu and a few others. And I just and they they were undercover, but they had like exhibits on Bhagavad Gita and vegetarianism and Indian culture. And I walked up and said, I know who you guys are. You're Hare Krishnas. And they gave me a big plate of prasadam. And then Madhura said, Why don't you come and travel with us and do this festival? And I said, Well, yeah, great. And so I got in the big truck with him and he started driving me to LA. And after he'd been driving for an hour, he said, Yeah, wait till you shave your head. You're really gonna like it. I had real long hair. I was a caveman. and uh, But I couldn't say no to that. It just wasn't very cool. And I, they dropped me off in the L.A. Bhakti, 
bought the program where I stayed for some years and that's where I joined in LA. So that's, and then later, that was kind of a birth for me, of course. But then later in 1993, I came to India with my mm. grandma, Marsh, And that was another kind of thing for me because before that I knew what American ISKCON was like and living in the temple and things. And I had to leave my family. But when I came to India, my Gurmaj, I felt in some ways that I was almost like leaving the, the American ISKCON that I knew because this is very, very different. Right. And so I've been living in India since 93. And I heard a lot from my Gurmaj and also from Fakir Mohan Prabhu. Who's a, he passed mm. away some years ago. He was a research scholar from Utkal University. And I just mentioned both of them because I feel like it was a great blessing for me uh, it, from a sociological perspective as a Westerner coming to this very different culture to be able to live in India with teachers who grew up in, the, in this culture. Mm. My grandmas grew up in this and Fakir Mumbu grew up and they were just natural. Mm. Whereas, which is a topic of our discussion today perhaps, I find a lot of times with the Western devotees Pretty much everybody has bad habits. I'll even say something really, really heavy. My friend Burke Rutchford, who's a professor in Vermont of sociology, he did a survey and they found that something like 70% of the sannyasis in our movement were not following four regulated principles. Hare Krishna. <laughs> Shock value, Prabhu. Thanks. You're bringing it. <laughs> <laughs> to paraphrase a, a statement we, we used to say in America, stuff happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, I, and I'm not just saying that for them, but I think it's just hard for all Westerners. And if you really study what Srila Prabhupada said to his sannyasis, he knew that kind of thing. And Prabhupada still wanted them to preach, and they're still great souls. That's my humble perspective. Mm. I'm not into the blame game and guilt, and which is my point. Because in America, in Western culture, we're not coming from that, that, this culture. It's a new thing for us, and we have to prove ourselves. Mm. And so we have to be super, super pure, even though pretty much all of us have very bad sung scars, very bad background and desires and things. Yeah. And so they, they, they hide that. They hide the fact that they're watching television. I'll tell you a short story, funny story. I was in... Uh, one temple, better I don't say the name of the temple, one temple in North America. And uh, one one friend of mine was giving a Bhagavatam class, and it was a hellfire and brimstone class. And you could see all the grihasas were like shaking. And he was saying, you know, television is Maya. You shouldn't watch TV. This is nonsense. And he finished the class, and he asked for questions. He has a five-year-old son. When he asked for questions, the five-year-old boy stood up, and he said, but Pita, why do you watch television? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's too good. Oh, <laughs> and basically, everybody's rolling on the ground and laughing. But this, to me, this little story epitomizes Western Vaishnavism a lot. Whereas yeah. I see Vaishnavas here in India, they I, I know Mahants who like to watch movies or they like cricket. Or this, and they know it's not the best thing in the world. They know it's not the most advanced thing, but that's just where they're at, and they don't feel the necessity of hiding that. Yes, mm. yes, absolutely. Wow. Jai, Jai was uh, got inspired by this uh, particular phrase that he discovered uh, on this 
this MMA thing that he was following about like owning your journey, you know, just being really, really authentic about where you're actually at and, and where you're going. Um, but th this is really fascinating. I want to ask this question at this, at this moment, like, so you coming to India for the first time in 1993 and then being very fortunate to be under the shelter and tutelage of Fakir Mohan Prabhu, as well as your Guru Maharaj, Shule Gorgavinda Maharaj, at that time, like coming out of the Western world and having to enter into this culture of like real purity, what, what was, what was your, what was your visceral experience of having to make that cultural shift? And did you feel, and you've been, you've been living in Jagannathpuri for 25 years or something. It's been a long time. Do you feel like you've genuinely as a West, uh, coming from a Western background, like really settled into the sanctity and the purity of the culture that you find yourself surrounded by? Well, first of all, I wouldn't necessarily say that the culture is all pure. I would say, <laughs> right. because there's a lot of heavy things. There's, there's a lot of child molestation. There's a lot of bad stuff that goes on. But here in our neighborhood, and, and you can hear out the window, you don't hear any cars or anything. We're a little on the outskirts of Pori. It's a very quiet neighborhood. And every one of our neighbors, there's a few hundred people living around us. I think every one of them has a Tulsi plant in front of their house. Most of them you hear conch shells blowing. Sometimes you hear kirtan. Every Akadasi you hear Hare Krishna mantra 24 hours. There's mm. a temple, 350-year-old temple of Radha Gopinath just nearby. Everybody, all the ladies do rangolis regularly. And everybody, not most everybody has a, like a big pot in front of their house. Maybe two of them, they put water and vegetable scraps to feed the cows. And I just love these people. But you also sometimes smell non-vegetarian things, especially fish. And pretty much everybody has television. And there's one house that go by every night. There's about 10 of them, 15 of them playing cards. And I presume they're gambling or something. And they're really, really into it. And, you know, coming from my background where we're trained so much, there's so much stress, Prabhupada gave that you have to be pure. Purity is a force and things that sometimes I, I find myself being a bit judgmental. And I see that and I think, oh my God, you know, what are these guys, man? They're, they're, but they're Dambasis. Prabhupada said about the, the, the Brindavan Dambasis, he said, you can't understand them and better that you don't associate with them. Mm. I would say we're very popular in this area. I, it's not a, I wouldn't say it. we are very popular. Everybody loves us. And all the kids, when they see us, they start jumping up and down, shouting Hare Krishna and Jai Jagannath. And we give them, we have Jai, we have Jagannath stickers we give all of them. And we do kirtan regularly. We get prasad on the people. And we talk to them and we love them. And the mood in speaking with them is not to save them or to give them the, the blessing of my great association, <laughs> but just to be their friend. And I, I learn things from them. And maybe sometimes they learn things from me. And some of them I'm really not into associating with because, you know, they're smoking marijuana. There's people like that around here and drinking and whatever. But still, they're also special in their way, but I keep a distance. And then other ones are just amazing. They're, they're, they're very, very clean, very, very pure. And they're really, really into this culture. A big difference that I find in the two cultures is that Prabhupada, I think, once said that the Indians are closer to Krishna but they're facing the wrong direction. The mm. Westerners are so 
further away, but they're looking at that. And that's very much what it's like. I, I grew up in a Christian family in America. And the, the, the mood of the Christianity in our family very much reminds me of the mood of the Hindus here in mm -hmm. Jagannath Puri. It's just something your family does and you don't really think about it. It's just because my parents did it and my grandparents did it. And that's just the reason why. And we don't find that to be such great association. Therefore, one of the purposes to talk about our project for a second of this Godia Odia Research Association, I want to try to bring people together. It's not just about preserving books. It's not just about translating things, although that's what we do. But the crucial, the, 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 uh, the basic principle for me is I want to be able to connect with scholars in Orissa in West Bengal and with uh, pandas and mahants here and local people in a way that's out of the box, in a way that I'm not representing ISKCON or some religious institution, but I'm doing something. I love them. I love their culture. And uh, one second. <laughs> We've got books we're working on like this. This is Roy Ramananda Padavali. This is a collection Ooh. of songs written by Roy Ramananda. It's awesome. No way. When is it coming out? <laughs> That's one of our projects we're working on now, the BRC. And I, and I can't say. And some Bengali books like Gambiraya Sri Goranga and Neela Chala Braja Madhuri. These are written by uh, Rasik Mohan Bidyabhushan, who was a friend of Bhaktivinoda Thakur's. And they're very Shastric and very, very Rasik and Pori oriented. So I love this culture. Mm. Mm. Um, just give it a moment. <laughs> oh no. Chai, are you and I on the same page here? We are. I think so. Okay. okay. I, I'm did you lose me for a minute? We did. We did. We're back. <laughs> okay. I think that, that just just pretend you're talking to someone in India. <laughs> so uh, uh, we, we, in one sense, we do it better than them. But in another sense, I want to be myself. Mm. And you were asking about this. Sometimes I feel like a man with no home. Mm. You know, I, I was born and raised in America. But when I go back to America, I don't fit in. And I'm never going to fit in here because I have the wrong color skin. I'm always going to be. I make jokes in America when we give a class and there's a lot of Indians. I tell them I'm not. I'm confused seeing all of you guys. I don't know. Am I a Desi or a Bidesi? Desi means a native and a Bidesi means a foreigner. And I'm kind of a Bidesi Desi. You know, that's just, just kind of the curse. I'll never, ever fit in this culture, even if I speak the language fluently, which I don't. I'll always be a foreigner, but that's okay. Let me be who I am. And I appreciate what Jai Jagannath Prabhu was researching before. It reminds me of some things from Jiva Goswami in Bhakti Sundarbha. He speaks about two types of bhakti, sakaitava and akaitava, mm. and with cheating and without cheating. And without cheating basically means you are your, who you are. Mm. And, and uh, as uh, Baladi Vidyabhushan calls that, in the uh, first chapter of the Gita, I'm trying to remember the Sanskrit phrase, it's uh, the yoga of lamentation. Vishad so yoga? Vishad yoga, thank you. And Bishad is two words together. Bish means poison, and Ad means to accept. So Bishad mm. together means lamentation, 
but two words together means that I, I'm, I'm taking, I'm accepting the poison of my situation. And that's necessary for bhakti. But the problem is, is that we're, we're, we feel the necessity, the social necessity, to put on a front. We're not being an honest man, <laughs> right? We, we feel that necessity. It's a problem. Prabhu, can you can you unpack this statement a little bit, like accepting the poison of our situation? Um, how does one how does one authentically show up to the world in due acceptance of the poison of our situation? Well, the yoga of lamentation is different types of lamentation. One type of lamentation is you feel bad about yourself. You feel sorry. And somebody, maybe they beat their wife or, or they abuse children or something. And a lot of times they get into substance abuse because they can't live with who they are. They just can't mm. face themselves. So they just start taking drugs and alcohol and whatever. And they, they beat their wife even more and their kids and whatever. And they just can't live with themselves. And that's a type of lamentation, self-pity. Mm. And then there's a kind of lamentation we see amongst the gopis, a Braj and Radharani and Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu who are crying in separation from Krishna. That's not our kind of <laughs> crying that we're recommending. My grandmas called it Atmakrandana or the crying of the soul. And that's our Bishad yoga, where we accept the beast, the, the poison, poison meaning that I really, it, it's a hard thing to accept, but I'm just, I, I've done some really bad things. I've hurt people. I, I, I've betrayed my guru. I, I've betrayed my vows. I've done this and that. I, I'm really fallen. But as my grandmas also sometimes used to say, great statement, your only qualification is your disqualification. And, and that's when you own it. That's when you accept it. That's Bishad Yoga. So I, I accept the poison of my situation. It's poison because I, I don't want to talk about that. If I talk about that in public, I can't talk about it. If I talk about it in public, you guys wouldn't ask me to come online with you again. <laughs> if I told you what I was really like, nobody would want to look at me. Nobody would want to talk to me. We're all, so many of us are living kind of a lie in that sense. My mm. grandma has also commented on that, which I appreciate. He said, it's not that you should just go and tell everybody about the terrible things that you do. Because if we do that, then also uh, it, it's not beneficial for new people. Oh, in Jai Jagannath, he's doing this thing. I can also do it. You know, this person's doing it. I can also do that. Mm. He said we should do that with someone that we have implicit trust in. Mm. That's, he said Krishna likes confessions. And Krishna accepts those confessions through Sri Guru. Not just mm. anybody who's going to just make a report online, you know, yeah, did you know <laughs> <laughs> what this guy's doing, man? <laughs> this and this. It's a sad thing. It's a sad thing in our movement that I can think of two or three gurus in our line whose disciples found pornography on, on their, their computer. Mm. And, and that became a big disturbance. And even one of those persons was a grihasta. Uh, but it, that people made a big thing out about, and they had to step down from their position. I, I don't, you know, it, it's a controversial thing. Yeah, Guru is something that, that we each choose, we, somebody we have faith in. But as far as I'm concerned, I'll say something really controversial. Even if someone's watching pornography or something, I, as far as I'm concerned, he can still be a guru. 
if he's teaching you about the holy name, teaching you about the Bhagavatam, connecting you with the right things, and if he's honest, and if, he's, mm -hmm. if he's not trying to act like something that he's not. Now, probably a lot of people wouldn't want to take initiation <laughs> from him there. <laughs> and he's not yeah. advocating some bogus thing, of course. I, that, you know, I want to get to the other subject matter, but just on this point, I, it is obviously will be very controversial in our Sangha. But when I read Sri Krishna Bhajanamrita of Narahari Sarkar, it seems to have indication like if a guru, quote, falls down because of sensuality, he is still not to be rejected. <clears throat> just on the fact that he's falling down because of sensuality. Yeah. Um, so it's just like, I'm like, can we have that discussion a little bit? Because, you know, I know I have friends whose gurus have fallen due to sensuality and they reject their gurus. They become quite, you know, having animosity. I'm like, I don't know if that's the guidance that we're given in terms of dealing with that sort of scenario. That's totally a really cool subject matter. But I want to use this as a segue point also to the idea that because of being Westerners and having the sort of erotic some scars that we have, um, yeah. as you can imagine, because we, we're like the internet culture. So we mm -hmm. have some very vastly erotic some scars. And so when we come in contact with the erotic and this immaculate Vedic culture, after, especially after being trained to look at the erotic after joining ISKCON especially as something like bad, negative, unfavorable, et cetera, to come in contact with the Iraq and the immaculate Vedic culture, you can understand presents somewhat of a dilemma for us. So how are we supposed to navigate that? Like jumping into that subject matter yeah. a little bit. Yeah, um, a few points. First of all, I just address your last point. I wouldn't necessarily say that all of this culture is immaculate. Right. I would say the teachings are immaculate. I would say there are immaculate persons in it. But mm. the thesis, the point that I want to conclude with, which I'll just throw in the beginning, I guess now, is that uh, there's something for everyone. Mm. And in some way, through, through the process of association, and we'll get to that, uh, to help uplift everyone. Uh, your point about uh, people being fallen in, in, from Narahari Sarkar reminds me also of a statement Bhaktivinoda makes in Jaiva Dharma, which is a real shocker. Uh, there's a conversation between the guru and the disciple, and he's asking his Gurudev, he says, so what about uh, someone who has left uh, Vaishnav culture? They, they fell down, and they, they performed sinful activities, but now they're practicing again. Can that is that person a Vaishnav? Yes, that person's a Vaishnav. What about a sannyasi who got married, but now he's practicing? If he's practicing as a devotee, he's a Vaishnav. And he should be respected. And he shouldn't be considered to be fallen. Mm. Someone's fallen who, who's not chanting Hare Krishna, who's not practicing Vaishnavism. And in, in one sense, my grandma's also commented once, he said, There's no question of you falling down because you're already in a fallen position. <laughs> So if we accept our position, and that's one thing that I love. Tomorrow we're taking a group of devotees to sit a Bakul, Haridas Thakur's Bhajan Kutir. And, and I try to look for lessons in each of these different Tirtastalis. And one of the lessons that I offer there is that Haridas Thakur was real, and he never denied his background. Mm. He didn't say, you know, he didn't try to deny that he came from a Muslim family who probably ate meat 
and did you know so many terrible things. He always identified himself as Yavana Haridas. But we don't do that. I come from <laughs> from a worse background than him, and, and he's he's the Namachari. And not only is he the Namacharya, he's Lord Brahma, right? Lord Brahma installed the deities in Jagannath Puri. Mm. He installed Jagannath, and now right. they won't let him in the temple. He could go there and say, hey, don't you know who I am? Get out of my way. You know, I, I'm, I'm Lord Brahma. I installed the deities. And not only that, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and I, we're like this. I'm the Namacharya. But he didn't do that. To teach us what it means to take shelter of Nam, he wore his, he remembered his background. He didn't forget that. Mm. I pray that I never forget my parents. I pray that I never forget my background. I don't want to become such a proud person that, that now I can't tell you about my mother. My, I, I have a hard time telling you about the way I grew up as a teenager in America because it's not very uh, <laughs> wholesome. It's going to in the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's deep. So how do let's get into this erotica and Vedic culture. How, how are you going to introduce us to this? <laughs> Or introduce our audience. Well, yeah, I mean, probably most devotees are familiar with uh, Kajuraho. At least we've heard the name Kajuraho, and we've heard of Konark, and th there's all these erotic sculptors there. And how do you understand that? I came across this article by Jagadananda, and I did some other research. I downloaded a, a, a nice book, very nice book, actually. I could recommend Devangan Desai's Erotic Sculptures of India. It's a social cultural study. It's something he did for his PhD. Wow. It's very, uh, or she did, excuse me, it's a lady. She uh, writes it in a very, uh, it's not erotic what she writes, but she tells you exactly what's going on. And she raises the same kind of questions that everybody else raises. You know, what's going on? This is a culture which really promotes celibacy and purity and things. And here's all these erotic things. And uh, she points out some really heavy things that uh, it's not just, first of all, it's not just within Hinduism, but she says that all the important religious sects of the country <clears throat> I'll just give it a moment. All the important, what was that last thing? Religious all, sects. Yeah, all the important religious sects. All have some sort of depiction. <laughs> but the more she, or, she found, they're, they're all over. Oh, sorry, we lost you for Prabhu. a second. Yeah, we lost you when you said all the major religious sects. Okay. So I'm reading from the Devangana Desai's book, Erotic Sculptures of India. She says yeah. all important religious sects of the country, Hindu, Buddhist, and Jain, have presented erotic motifs in their art. Mm. Sexual representation was a pan-Indian cultural feature, meaning all over India. All right. It implies a common cultural substratum which influenced religious sects all over India. So the very first thing that we can comment, what I want to do, I want, what do we deal, how do we deal with this? What does it mean right. to us? How do we digest this? The very first thing that I see when I start coming close to this is, wow, this is not a very uh, uh, uptight 
uh, super conservative culture. <laughs> right. Some of the motives, some of the sculptures are homosexual and, and lesbian sex and things, and, and even with animals and very, very heavy things, which would disturb a lot of our listeners probably because it's not the thing that we come to Krishna consciousness for, and it's not the thing we're taught to to follow. So uh, the first thing that I, that, I, that I came to understand was this is a culture which is actually much, much more broad-minded mm. than I'm used to thinking of it. And how do we put that in perspective with where we're coming from? I have a friend, Satyasena Prabhu, who's a disciple, Prabhupada. He was in Balboa Park in San Diego. There was a hippie gathering going on. And Prabhupada showed up and started giving a lecture. And all the hippies were just ignoring him and smoking marijuana and whatever. And there was one hippie in the back who started shouting something. <laughs> Bhaktadas was there, my friend. And uh, <laughs> Prabhupada said, what is he saying? And Bhaktadas says, he's shouting, Srila Prabhupada, we want sex. We want sex. <laughs> he's telling that to Prabhupada. So what was Prabhupada's response to that? He completely shifted gears and started this real heavy, heavy talk about how sex is completely maya. Mm. And how it binds you to this material world and, and all the heavy verses from the fifth canto and third canto and <laughs> and whatever Prabhupada started quoting all those things. And it blew my friend such a saint his mind that somebody could come before the hippies and speak like this. Oh my God. So he became a devotee. So that's the kind of background that we're used to, right? right? We're, we, we're very, very conservative. In many ways, I honestly find, as I kind of intimated in the beginning, Western devotees, a lot of times, I find them more Hindu than the Hindus in some ways. They're more conservative than the conservative Hindus. Mm. And that's if you study sociology of religion a little, my stepfather was a sociologist. It's a common... Uh, symptom of conversion, religious conversion. Mm. You lose all your friends. You don't know the new religion. So to make new friends, you become a fanatic. And mm -hmm. you're more hardcore than, than, the, than the regular hardcore people. There's also <laughs> kind of like a need to very fanatically and vehemently reject everything that you were into before because what you were into before was probably pretty heavy. And so, but those are heavy temptations. So it's kind of like, unless you're like really like, you know, against it, then it's kind of, you know, so that psychological need also, also kind of shows up. Yeah. Let me go on a little uh, sideline here, which I think you'll find interesting. This is something I better I don't use a lot of names, but uh, I've spoke with, with several of Srila Prabhupada's most intimate personal servants who did a lot of personal service for Prabhupada. And, and they told me that on a number of occasions, Grihastas would come to Prabhupada and say, Prabhupada, I can follow three regulated principles, <laughs> but this fourth principle I just can't do. And Prabhupada would tell them anyway, just do it with your wife. And that was privately spoken. And then sometimes there were also sannyasis. And I, I found even a recording of some devotees complaining about a sannyasi who was uh, hitting on the, on the men. He had some homosexual tendency. And interestingly to me, Prabhupada kept that person as a sannyasi. That's a whole other topic, very interesting topic. And he was doing great service. And as far as I'm concerned, he's a great soul. He had some problems he's coming from, but 
he's chanting and 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 practicing Krishna consciousness. Now, some years ago, I was in I was at a program in the former Soviet Union. We'll just say that. And one senior Mataji started speaking to me about this fourth principle. And I told her what I'd heard from these servants of Srila Prabhupada. And immediately she became so upset. She said, well, why don't we tell people this then? <laughs> yeah, well, fair point. And I, yeah, and it's, it's a very good point. She's a very senior devotee. She'd been around for 25, 30 years or something. And uh, why don't we just tell people this? And I said, well, first of all, I do. Just like I told you, privately. Prabhupada spoke that privately. But Prabhupada never did that publicly. And I'm mm. only mentioning this in public now because it's becoming public knowledge. People mm. are, are finding out about that. Right. It's not such a secret anymore. But then she said, well, why, why do we speak all this, you know, celibacy kind of things and, and sex life only for the cause of procreation and that? And I said, well, first of all, I'm not going to change what Prabhupada gave. I, I, I draw the line there. Prabhupada gave a certain thing. He stressed that. I can't change that person. Someone else wants to do that. That's your business. Good luck with the society as a preacher. Uh -huh. I'm not going to change what Prabhupada did. And, and as far as I'm concerned, I think Prabhupada, Prabhupada knew. He knew very well that those devotees weren't able to do it. So then why did he tell them? And my personal feeling is that Prabhupada did that because he wanted them to cry. He wanted them to feel guilty and to cry and feel very, very fallen and to help us come to a higher standard. Uh -huh. And uh, as Karuna Avatar Prabhu, as you're saying, that we come from such a bad background. If Prabhupada would have said, well, anyway, that's okay. If he would have said that in Bhagavatam class or something, the next thing you know, we'd be having Kama Sutra classes in the <laughs> temple or something. I mean, <laughs> absolutely. And, and actually, before we finish today, I want to talk about oh, Kama man. Sutra. Yeah, definitely. I, had a, I have a question about that also. Anyway, absolutely. Sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you were saying um, that Parapop oh, wanted man, us to I, cry. I, you were saying the reason Prabhupada gave that standard to us, knowing we couldn't follow, is because he wanted us to cry. That, that's my personal perspective. Uh, I, I, he didn't say that, but I, I, I have faith in Prabhupada, right. and I see that's a benefit for me in that regard. I like that as a reconciliation. So what are these different theories? You mentioned that there are different theories. So someone comes, a Hare Krishna devotee who's new, whoever, they come, to Karnak or wherever, they see all these erotic sculptures depicting. Okay, before we do that, let me just let me just make a very short presentation of how all-pervading this eroticism is. Mm. It's not just in sculpture. Mm. It's not just in the literature. Mm -hmm. uh, it's in the Bhagavatam. It's in Prabhupada's books. It's in the Jagannath Rathiyatra. Let me give you a few quick examples. In, the, in 1996, here in Jagannath Puri, they banned a very ancient tradition. I don't know how ancient this tradition is, but the tradition is called Dahuka Geet. Uh, it, it, or Dahuka Gat, Dak. Dak means to call out. We, we say Daknam is a phrase in Bengali. Daknam means like your pet name. Huh? Mm. Dak means to call out. So there's a long tradition in Pori of that during the Rathiatra. They had a particular servant called the Dahuka. 
And he would ride on top of the chariot and he would be like right in the front. And they would sing extreme, I mean, extremely, extremely crude, very vulgar, erotic, uh, as, as bad as you can possibly imagine, <laughs> songs to excite the public. And it would whip everybody up in a frenzy. Then people would start pulling the carts and things. So in 1996, here in Puri, they banned it because there were wow. some modern-day intellectuals who were saying this is dirty, it's not suitable to be spoken in front of small children and women, and, and this is really bad. This Dahuka Geet tradition is still going on in Arissa, though, mm. at all, all over Arissa. There's Rathiatras that go on all over. So this is a question. I'm just now. I'm just lining up all of our questions. Okay, all this right. is a question. My God, this is at Rathiatra. What in the world are they? they and and I'm again. I'll tell you. Just it, it's the most explicit, <laughs> nasty kind of things you can imagine that they say. And then there's the sculptures in Konark. There's paintings in different places. Aside from all of that, we've also got uh, Kama Sutra and different literatures. And aside from that, we've got Gaudiya literatures like Govinda Lilamrita and Gita Govinda, which are also transcendentally erotic, and we're warned not to go and not to read those things. Aside from all of that, let me read you something from Krishna book. This is from Prabhupada's Krishna book, chapter 48. To fulfill his promise, Krishna, along with Uddhava, went to the house of Kubja who was very eager to get Krishna for the satisfaction of her lusty desires. When Krishna reached her house, he saw that it was completely decorated in a way to excite the lusty desires of a man. <laughs> Prabhupada goes on. This suggests that there were many nude pictures, on top of which were canopies and flags embroidered with pearl necklaces along with comfortable beds and cushioned chairs. Well, nude pictures means pornography. Right. <laughs> and this is a, this is someone who is a great devotee. Don't think that Kubja is just uh, some ordinary personality. She's a great soul. And, but she's got this pornography in her room. And Sridhar Swami, in his commentary, when he, he comments this verse of Prabhupada's uh, translating, it comes from the second, uh, the second verse of the 40th chapter. And it's Artha in his uh, commentary on the Sridhar Swami, Bhavarta Deepika, he says that it included all these explicit sexual pictures. In Vishwanath, he adds that her paraphernalia included herbal aphrodisiacs <laughs> and explicit pictures and things. This was what was going on. And Prabhupada's writing about this. So how do we deal with this? How do we see this? And this is a very, very confusing thing. It's not just confusing for devotees. It's confusing for scholars also. So before I dive into that uh, and some of the different uh, ideas that the scholars and different people have for it, do you guys have any feedback you want to give me? No pictures. I'm not going to share anything, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess the conclusion, you know, that's coming up for me as I'm hearing you describe these things is that like the puritanical, let's say, Christian world or Middle Eastern traditional world, the way that we receive Christian consciousness, at least in our ISKCON Sangha, is, you know, not dissimilar from that. And it's just created this terrible schism, mm. like within us, which is like very real, it's very genuine. I'm getting letters on occasion 
bi-weekly from different people all over who are suffering from this terrible schism because they're dealing with this sort of erotic or amative aspect of themselves, which they're trying to suppress. Jai Jagannath, hold on a second. The last thing I heard, I lost you. The last thing I heard was something about puritanical Christian tradition. Yeah, so we, we, we in our ISKCON Sangha have also received, a, we can say, a puritanical approach towards Christian consciousness. Mm. And so the result of that has been a schism that's been created in our psyches that's pretty heavy, where mm. the amative parts of ourself is to be suppressed denied, rejected, looked down upon, et cetera, et cetera. And, and now you're giving all this other information, which is like, well, <laughs> this is erotica as part of the culture. The culture was more broad-minded, accepting, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, I'm, I'm not, I don't feel resentful. I love your, <laughs> I love your theory that Parapod wanted us to cry. That's like a very beautiful way of kind of reconciling this for me. But just in terms of experiences in the past, not only personally, but vicariously, I can't understand why a person might feel resentful that I yeah. joined this I joined this Christian conscious movement in the pursuit of absolute beauty. And the result that I got was this terrible schism that ended up jacking up my life for one decade, two decades, three decades. You know, I took sannyas and having not reconciled schism. And then it came up in the most horrible way. And now I'm shamed in my community. And, I don't know that this uh, this is what's coming up for me, like on a visceral level, yeah. like why? I don't know. I don't I don't want to say why, because I don't think it's a fair question, but it would have been nice to have. It's nice to have a concept that reconciles the two poles mm -hmm. and, and, and creates a sort of, yeah, a, a whole <laughs> instead of it being like this super dupe polarity where you have to be on one side of it. Otherwise, you're you know, you're just falling or whatever it is. And then right. you end up feeling destroyed internally or having to struggle with that for several decades. I don't know. I don't know what's your, if you have anything to say. It's, it's destroyed people's rant. lives. Right. I, I could, I, I can rant about this also. Let me tell you one or two of my favorite stories, which you'll, I think you'll find amusing, but they're true. I gave a class once in a former Russian country, better I don't say. And uh, I was telling the Grihuskas that, that, just as when you're in an ashram, you have to take care of your building. If you're a grihasta, you have to take care of your wife because you take care of the building, it helps your bhajan. You take care of your wife, it helps your bhajan. And so I told him every day you should say two things to your wife. I love you and you're beautiful. And I told him because if you don't do that, someone else might. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're going to have problems. The poor right. brahmachari who was translating from his face was like bright red the whole time. It was hard for him. Anyway, we finished the class. We went outside. My wife speaks fluent Russian. And a young girl started speaking to my wife, and she was sobbing and crying. Mm. And I'm, oh, my God, you know, what's going on? And so afterwards, I, my wife told me the story. She said she'd gotten married a year before, and her husband took her on a honeymoon. And she's thinking, that's so nice. It's so romantic. We just got married. We go on a honeymoon. And then she found out that he planned on bringing his two brahmachari buddies on the honeymoon. And so they went somewhere in the mountains. And her yeah. brahmachari buddies, his brahmachari buddies told him, don't stay in the same room with her. She's Maya. 
And so he wouldn't sleep in the same room with her. And not only that, they told him, don't eat any food she cooks because you're going to get in Maya. And this poor girl was just sobbing. She's a very simple girl. She said, I just want to have a baby. You know, that, that's why she got married. What's wrong with that? We're sick. And the, the problem is we come from a very bad position. And I think it's kind of this uh, rubber band effect. We come from a very bad background. And to give that up, we have to go hardcore. We, we have to, to uh, what's the phrase when someone gives up heroin or something? Cold turkey. We have oh, to go yeah. cold turkey. We have to be really hardcore with that. Otherwise, we're just never going to give it up. But then oftentimes we get all these weird ideas and we all, I have a lot of other stories about one more story. It's, it's sure. the, the worst in one former one, one zone in Europe. I just will just say that much. Uh, if someone wanted to get married, good luck. They had to make a proposal to their guru and the local authorities. And they generally didn't want to let them do it because pretty much everybody was doing Sankirtan, which meant collection big time in those days. And they felt that when, the, when you get married, you're in Maya. So usually they wouldn't let you get married. If they would allow you to do that, then what they did with the couples, the first thing, they would put them in separate Sankirtan traveling parties and send them out so they didn't associate. <laughs> if you came back to the your leader and said, look, you know, I just want to have a baby. You know, I, I just wanted to have a baby my whole life. I just want to have a child. It's pretty reasonable. And, and if they approved of that, they had a trailer, a little motor home, and they would give you like 15 minutes to do your work, your business. And while you were doing your business in there, trying to procreate a child, the brahmacharis and sannyasis were doing kirtan outside <laughs> of the motor home. I absolutely can't with this. <laughs> Now, I, I, I'll tell you a little historical comment. As far as I know, every one of those sannyasis later on got married. Oh, my God. <laughs> Probably all those brahmacharis. I can't imagine what they were thinking about during the kirtan. And the poor couple who was in the motorhome. And that's, that's, is that sick? That, that's not Vedic culture. <laughs> that's bizarre. And this is a kind of weird, weird things we take ourselves to. Now, if all of a sudden you hear from Madhavananda that, yeah, you know, Konark, there's all these things, and, and the, the Dahuka guy, the Rathiatra, and this and this, you may think, well, God, what, what am I doing, man? I missed out, you know? <laughs> Better I'm just me, and I'm just honest. But then I think we may overlook something very important. Mm. Srila Prabhupada wanted us to have the topmost thing. And he saw our situation. He knew the medicine for us. Now, we should take that medicine, but we shouldn't twist it. And, and, and Bhaktivinoda Thakur says there's two types of persons, Bahir Mukjanas and Antar Mukjanas, or people who are external and people internal. The external people, they judge everyone, especially by how many hours they sleep, how much they eat, are they celibate, are they mm. not? They, they judge everybody by external bodily things. And you know, both of you have been in this movement a long time. So many of the devotees, that's how they judge devotees, if they're advanced or not, by how much they sleep, how celibate they are, this or that or the other. But we read about Prahlad Maharaj meeting the, the uh, python man. The guy was seriously overweight. He's eating like anything. And he just, you know, <laughs> he just said, well, I just eat whatever comes my way. Sometimes I fast. We hear about Garuda who shockingly is a non-vegetarian Vaishnav. We, there, there's a lot of personalities. 
sometimes Garuda would eat fish and he would eat turtles <laughs> and snakes and things like that. He wouldn't get initiated in our line, but he carries fish. <laughs> <in his tongue. laughs> that's just, I can't that's <laughs> Prabhu, you know, it's like I hear these things that happen in our movement, our, you know, ISKCON society. And uh, it just gives me the feeling like I, 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 wa I, wa I want absolutely nothing to do with <laughs> like such just insanity, like pure insanity, you know, it, it's just completely, no, no, <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> yeah, not, not what I signed up for. You know. Well, that's why you have the Honest Man's podcast, right? I, yeah. my, my humble, I think you guys checked out sometime. I also checked out in my own way. I, I, I can't live. with. I can stay in a temple for a few days or something, give some classes or whatever. And I support. And I'm a team member. I, I'm a strong supporter of Prabhupada's mission. But in my way, we live on our own. We have four or five devotees here in our house. We have like a family. Mm -hmm. And we, we do things in our way. And... Uh, we we want to live like a family, like like honest people and, and simple and straightforward. I'd mm. say that I'm largely like that also, but I'm I'm kind of interested in rec like the language I'm going to use is I'm interested in reconciling the poles because I can't deny what I got from ISKCON and yeah. obviously what I received from Srila Prabhupada, and that's extremely important to me. I mean, I changed my entire life because of that. I've my entire life has been nourished because of that sangha also. So I, I I can't reject it in my heart. And I never would even want to reject such a thing in my heart. At the same time, when you hear like these crazy things, it does present a dilemma. So I'm interested in reconciliation of the poles. Like how do how does a person navigate that so they come out whole and not broken? Well, I I I, I, I know also crew and avatar was asking something like this too. Right. It requires maturity. Part of the problem, I think, is that I, I was a bhakta leader in L.A. for some time. I'll put it this way. And sometimes we, someone would join the temple, and they had really long hair, and they had these old Levi's jeans. And their identity was their pants. Their identity was their hair. And when I'd shave their head, they'd get this weird look on their face like, who am I? Mm. Because that was their whole identity. And I remember when I joined the bhakta program, I, I, I don't, know, I don't know how to tie a dhoti. I don't know the, the words to the songs in the morning. I, I'm not cool. I'm not accepted here. So I have to try extra hard to be accepted. So I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. You, you, what was your, your point? The, like reconciling the poles. Like, like where, where do we find, where do we find the, 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 the kind of like the middle ground? And you were talking about the, yeah. you need to become mature. Right. Maturity. Right. So that requires some maturity. So we don't have an identity. So all of a sudden we, we pull a, a bag off the rack. We give it to the new box and we say, this is your identity. You are a Hare Krishna devotee. You are a new Bhakta. You are Bhakta Bob in L.A. You're an L.A. devotee. And probably you're going to take initiation from this devotee, at least in the zonal Acharya days. We spoke like that. <laughs> and we would give them an identity. And it worked. It really helped. 
because people are always looking for an identity. Yeah, absolutely. And they identify with the institution. That's me. Yeah. But that's not necessarily bhakti. Yeah. So right. that requires maturity. Prabhu, my, my, my Guru Maharaj was, was on the show last week, um, Mahatma Prabhu, and we, w we were having quite a, also really quite a live, lively discussion in this kind of general realm. And, you know, this, this phenomenon that so many people come to the Krishna consciousness movement with no like genuine sense of like concretized identity and that they're almost like looking for a sense of identity and that they can like it's kind of like what makes perhaps the society so attractive to a large extent is that the identity that can be adopted or that can be given is like so rigid and defined you know and for a lot of people i guess that is a sense of relief but something which is also which i which i've also noticed and picked up on is that um you know we all like just need to experience a sense of belonging you know we we need to feel like we're a part of something and my realization recently was that actually if you look at human psychology in general people will sign up to anything like what we belong to isn't actually that important it's just that we experience a sense of belonging that's kind of what people are looking for so now it's 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 also just coming to this point of and i want to bring this question to you as well um kind of put it out there last week is that you know, people come and then in order to experience a full sense of belonging in our Krishna consciousness society, it's required to take initiation and to make these ex vows of, you could say, considering where we come from and considering the fact that these are Brahminical standards and just <laughs> considering a whole lot of struggles in the world as it is today, we have to make these vows to maintain extreme, you could say, you could argue extreme standards of purity. And unless you make these vows, you you cannot actually have a full sense of identity and a full sense of belonging in our society, you know, in our, in our ISKCON society. And you don't really have status unless you make these vows. And so I feel like for a lot of people, their motivation to make the vows aren't necessarily genuinely krishna conscious you know oh i genuinely want to have love of god but rather like i need to feel a sense of of belonging and that is a highly problematic thing now that's kind of an in to the question of like can one like can it be a part of an authentic identity as a bhakta as a person in Krishna consciousness um, to not necessarily be able to follow the standards of purity to the T as they are defined by, given to us by Srila Prabhupada. Can one be an authentic bhakta? Can, well, you, can, mm. you, ha can you be a bhakta and have a sex life? Can you be a bhakta and not be able to let go of perhaps certain forms of intoxication is is it actually possible for a long time it hasn't been and that, that's what we've been talking about socially 
Right. And as as a society, as we progress and become more mature as a society, I'm not speaking about as individuals now, but as a society, we'll come to accept that. We'll come to, as Prabhupada, some, in some of his Vanasham walks in the morning, he said that we'll have, Vanasham means we'll have some people in the community who are not vegetarian. Uh, and even sometimes he said they may eat cow flesh, not that they'll kill the cow. But if a cow dies a natural death, you give the, the person the flesh and maybe they drink alcohol and whatever, but they can still be a, a member, which to me means something of a Vaishnav. Mm -hmm. Now, I say something of a Vaishnav because there's many definitions of, of what is a Vaishnav. And Prabhupada ultimately wanted us to be pure Vaishnavas, which is a very, very high thing. But there's something for everyone. And really, that, that's the conclusion I have with all this erotic things. Um, should I throw at you guys some of the different... Uh, yeah, let's hear that. Yes. I, I, have that have. I have that circled right here. I'm going to hear those yeah. theories and then hear your sort of reconciliation. Okay. I, I Some of these, you, you may have read Jagannanda's article more recently than me. I, I'm just, it's been a long time since I read that. But I, he, he researches very nicely. He's a brilliant scholar. And some of the comments that he made, I remember reading it and kind of thinking to myself, subtly thinking to myself, it just didn't digest real well. Like one of the reasons was that Indra, that, that, that they put these erotic things on there because to protect the temples from lightning bolts. Yeah. That, that's some ideas some scholars have. Yeah. Because Indra, he's really a lusty guy and he's not going <laughs> to uh, want to... I, I just, I, I, this doesn't really make sense to me. And a lot of the temples don't have erotic things on them. And that just doesn't make sense. Another uh, uh, story is that, that it's for sex education. <laughs> okay. uh, that's also, it doesn't, if you go and look at the, the, the carvings and things that are there, yeah, I guess it's some kind of education like that. Oh, and I forgot another category that I came across also. And that's, I, I do a lot of work with Patachitra art. And I remember you, like, uh, here's a book we made, uh, Matura Meets Vrindavan, and it's full of Patachitra art, traditional Odisha-style mm. art. Love that. And I would go to Raghurajpur, which is a village of artists, and some other different small villages, and speak to these artists. And I remember uh, the shock that I had once. There was like a 12-year-old, maybe 14-year-old girl who was working on some picture or something. And, oh, what are you working on? I went and looked. And it's uh, some sexual positions. <laughs> it wasn't just nudity, but it was sexual positions. And that's a common thing in Patachitra art. And even they have like the dust avatars, the 10 different incarnations. And, and Krishna, let's wait one second. It'll be one second. <laughs> I love the um, excitement to share yeah. these like, books with us. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. this is... A Patachitra picture. This is engraved. They have something called a lekana, which is like an iron pen, and they take these palm leaves and they carve in them. Now, this is this is just a bunch of trees, but some of them will have the dust avatars, and you see like the circle, and the circle opens up. Mm -hmm. Can you bring you know, it a little side. bit more center screen? Yeah. It's a little bit out of the screen. Oh wow. Okay. Okay. Now we can see nicely. Okay. Oh wow. Yeah, this is gorgeous. I love this one. Uh, and let me show you again. So they have, there's this circle right here, this tree. And maybe they have Balaram or, or uh, Vamana Dave or Nishringa Dave or something. And then it, it kind of lifts up. And you lift it up, and underneath there's some sexual position. 
And I remember <laughs> it was quite a shock for me, this young, very pure looking 12, 14 year old girl doing that thing. And, and I, I, my face like went red and I just, you know, I, my, I was very embarrassed to be around <laughs> this young girl. And, and I was shocked. Here's this young girl and she's making all these sexual positions like that. And she's looks just very pure and simple. And she's also making all these pictures of, of Krishna and Radharani and the gopis and everything. And I, uh, <laughs> that, that's another one. Okay, so now let, let's go to uh, some of the, the thoughts that people have about them. One is Indra, to, to, to deter him from uh, throwing thunderbolts. Another, people say it's for sex education. Another interesting theory uh, about Konark, I, rather, I, I see it as more of an observation with Konark. Konark, when you go to the main temple, there's like, four different levels, three, four different levels of, of sculptures. And on the lowest level are animals. And then the level above that are erotic poses. And there's the ladies with ladies and, and so many different erotic postures and things. Interestingly, there's a giraffe in one of those pictures. So there was some connection with Africa at one point. Uh, and there's a hippo in another one. Anyway, uh, and then above that, so that you have, you have animals then you have erotic pictures, and then above them you have the demigods. Mm. So some people suggest it, and it seems pretty reasonable to me, this particular uh, thought, that they're showing different levels of consciousness mm. at the temple. Another uh, theory which some people have, have suggested is that they put those things on the outside of the temple to keep the lusty people out. Because when they go to the temple... <laughs> Oh, my God. They just stand outside just staring and checking it all out. Or maybe even they go inside, but their mind is on the outside. And, and so to, to protect the sanctity of the temple. That's an interesting thought. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I, I just, like, at this juncture, I'm, I'm just kind of fascinated to get, like, really specific about what we find in our tradition. For instance, if we, if we think about, like, the Govinda Lilam Rita, and we think about the way that the, the you know, the Ras Lila is described in, in our more esoteric um, scriptures, where there are very, it's very graphic, you know, and, and kind of like, because because there's this kind of there's this like there's this Russ Lila phobia in our sort of like general society. Oh no no you you know your consciousness isn't completely free. You're not completely free of lust, and therefore you should just you know remain completely aloof from hearing about like you know the intricacies of Madhurya Lila. But then there's also another perspective which says that that is the very means by which we get by which we get. Um, by which we get purified. So just like what what is your stance on this Prabhu and and what do you see the purpose of these like very detailed descriptions of you know the 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 gopis then waists and raised breasts and whatever like what is the per why do we need to have that image in our mind? Yeah, it disturbs a lot of young devotees. I remember when I was a bhakta leader in LA we used to take the devotees out in Harinam, and some of the I remember some of the bhaktas started crying. I don't want to go to Venice Beach. Please don't take us to Venice Beach, <laughs> because you know the way the girls would dress there, and these these poor guys, you know, they just they just couldn't deal with it. 
And part of it, I think, is just that we're, we're trying to be celibate. I'm trying to be celibate. I'm being celibate. I'm being celibate. I'm being celibate. And we're focusing on that thing rather than on Krishna. We're focusing on the negative thing. We become obsessed with that. And then all kinds of strange, strange behavior comes. So first of all, Bhaktivinoda, I don't know if I can remember his comment. I think it's in Chaitanya 6, Shamrita. He says something like, Bada Jiva Shravana Adhikar Nahi, that for a, a conditioned soul doesn't have the anada and anadikar. He doesn't have the qualification to hear these topics. Jiva Goswami in, I think it's Priti Sandarbha, he says that, that uh, if there's a transformation in your lower bodily parts, that means you shouldn't be reading this stuff. <laughs> mm. uh, okay, but then there's also the statement in the 33rd chapter of the Bhagavatam, which it comes after the Raslila. Mm. And uh, Sukadev Goswami, uh, he's, he's looking around and he's thinking, you know, or excuse me, Maharaj Pariksha is looking around and thinking, you know, my God, there's a whole bunch of really conservative rishis here. They're going to freak out that Sukadev Goswami is speaking about Krishna dancing with all these young girls and, and doing all these things with them. So isn't this wrong? He asks him something like that. And then Sukadev Goswami speaks a famous Vikriti Tam Bajavadu Biridam Chavishno verse where he says it should unvito that if you have faith, if you're hearing from someone that you have faith in, then what will happen, bhaktim param, you're going to get bhakti, but not just bhakti, but param bhakti. You're going to get the topmost bhakti. Bhagavat prati labya kaman hridrogam. You're going to conquer over the disease of the heart by hearing this topic. But it's not just by hearing the topic. It's by hearing the topic from someone that we have faith in in a personal relationship. It's not just picking up the book or, or watching a video of the, the Ross Leela or something. <laughs> we have our different types of media. Mm. And, and, and as Jai Jagannath was pointing out correctly, we were addicted to this kind of media before. It's not just yeah. that, that we can put this, this topics on the media and it's, we're going to become purified. This quality, Shradanvito, has to be there. I have to have some faith in that person. And quite honestly... Uh, how much faith do we all have in that, in that personality? That's a real question. And, and that's really for the guru to decide also. He'll mm -hmm. see where that disciple's at and what they need. And maybe he'll tell them, look, you should just get married. Mm -hmm. So there is some benefit. There is some purpose for it. By reading, by hearing these topics, we're naturally going to understand that these lusty affairs, they're not meant for me. They're meant for Krishna. They're meant for Krishna's pleasure and Krishna's enjoyment. But if I haven't come to the point of having faith that really everything is meant for Krishna's pleasure, if I don't have that kind of faith and I don't have faith in a person I'm hearing from, and then I start reading those things, then it's just like you know, you know, people are going to go back to their old bad habits. Hmm. I'm going to be really honest about this and say that I feel like coming to a point of genuinely having that faith at the core of your heart that everything is meant for Krishna's enjoyment and that eternally I am not meant for any sort of like erotic enjoyment. I think I personally feel that I'm so far away from that, so far. 
I can't imagine yeah. feeling that way. Like it's not an intellectual adjustment. Mm. Yeah, but but at the same time, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be also super honest and say that in 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 all the times that I've heard descriptions of Ras Lila and and heard these very graphic descriptions of the Gopi's beauty and whatever, I actually cannot remember a single time that I have felt some kind of disturbance below the belt. It was more kind of just like a a genuine. It was just like a fascination, a sense of absorption that I experienced in that. But then it's kind of difficult for me to reconcile, like, not being necessarily directly sexually agitated by hearing those things, but at the same time feeling like I'm genuinely envious of Krishna for all of his, like, eternal sexual erotic enjoyment that I cannot, like have for myself. I'm genuinely envious of that. I'll just admit that super freely. So I don't really know how to reconcile it for myself. It's difficult. Prabhupada also mentions that in the spiritual world there's husbands and wives, and it seems that they are also doing their business there, something. But everything is for Krishna. And I, I, the problem that I think is that we're not mature enough. The comment both of you were making earlier and that maturity, what is that maturity? That maturity comes when we understand that, that it's really Krishna is in charge. Everything is for Krishna's pleasure. And it's not such a simple thing to say that. Another thing that comes to my mind, too, is that we're naturally attracted to beauty. Mm. Even, even I, I, you read in Krishna book, I think it's in chapter 6, Prabhupada says a very interesting thing, that when uh, Putana entered into Vrindavan, uh, all the residents of Vrindavan, especially the men, were attracted by her beauty. Mm. Now, isn't that interesting? Th that's not what I was told. <laughs> that's not the kind of stuff they told me when I joined. You know, I heard the Brin the Bridge Bossies, they're all this like hardcore celibates. They never look at any women or anything, but they're attracted to the beauty of Putana. Mm. Now, I, Prabhupada doesn't explain that. I looked in the commentaries. I didn't find that exact kind of point. But what it says to me is that there's nothing wrong with a woman being beautiful. And men should get over that. Rather, that's her asset. And yeah. a real man can appreciate that. And the other yeah. point that I see in that particular pastime is that they weren't lusty. It doesn't say they were, you know, wanting to grab her and drag her behind the building or something, Hare Krishna. But they they, they just appreciated her beauty. Which and means that which, which is to imply that there's nothing wrong with their attraction, also. Not only is there nothing wrong with her being beautiful, but there's nothing wrong with their being attracted to that beauty. Mm. Yeah. But we can't get our head around that. It's like, no, we, I don't agree to that. <laughs> <laughs> Prabhu, you were, you were mentioning a little bit earlier that you wanted to say something on the Kama Sutra, and, and I'd like you to bring up whatever you wanted to say. But I also wanted to just kind of um, uh, prefix it with the following question, which is, you know, for devotees <laughs> that are, let's say, going to be real, about where they're at sexually, right? And where they're simply not ready to follow 50 rounds for procreation and within the context of committed relationships to, to have an active sex life. 
do you think because basically we come from a what 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 we call a pornified culture where you know the young generation is so like indoctrinated by pornographic scripts of what of what sex is and that's really something that is very polluting um so do you feel for for devotees you know that are trying to take the next progressive step that there is a place for you know following the injunctions of the kama sutra and like looking at the injunctions of the tantric traditions and whatever do you feel there's a place for that there's 100% sure a place for some people <laughs> i i would say that it's not for for persons who are really very serious about bhakti mm -hmm. or more advanced but we love everybody and everybody should have a chance. I, I, let me say a little bit about Kama Sutra. First of all, there we, there we say that there's uh, the, uh, Kama Artha uh, Moksha, Karma Artha, what is it? Karma Artha? Yeah, Dharma Artha Kama Moksha. Dharma Artha Kama Moksha. Okay, I'm sorry. Dharma Artha Kama Moksha. My brain's not working real good today. I gave a class a few hours ago. <laughs> no. Dharma Artha Kama Moksha. So, uh, there's one commentary, Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur mentions that there's different literatures. There's Dharma Shastras, right. Dharma. There's Artha Shastras. Huh? There's Mukti, Mukti Shastras, and there's also Kama Shastras, and there's Shastra. So the most popular book, I, I I collect books. That you know, some people collect rocks. I'm into collecting books, and I've been to so many bookstores. And whenever I go to bookstores, especially in the West or in India, even. The number one book of India is the Kama Sutra, more than right. Bhagavad Gita. I'm right. sorry, Kama, Kama Sutra is the number one book. Sure. But what do people understand about Kama Sutra? It's written by Vatsayana Muni. And he, a lot of people don't understand. Vatsayana Muni was a lifelong brahmachari. <laughs> That's the first point. And he wrote Kama Sutra to encourage sense control. Mm. not sex pleasure. He wrote Kama Sutra to help people understand how to find a good wife. And there's a lot of exciting things in there, different sexual postures and whatever, which attracts a certain category of people. And I want to come to that in a minute. This is uh, a concept that I call the proximity factor. And we'll, mm. we'll get to that. This is my personal conclusion about all this. But in Kama Sutra, in... Uh, chapter in the section seventh section the second chapter text 57 and 58 he says tad eta brahmacharjena parena cha samadina dihitam lokayatrayi naragarto sasamvidi he says that this kama sutra tadita brahmacharjena he said i've done this while i'm observing brahmacharya Parina cha samadhina. Well, I was in samadhi, in trance, and I did this vihitam lokayatrayi. I did it to teach proper human conduct, not naragarto shasamvidi, not to teach attachment to sex. This is this is a sloka, a Sanskrit sloka from the Kama Sutra. In the next verse he says, Rakshan Dharma Artha Kamanam, Stityam Swam Lokavartinam, Asya Shastrasya, Tatvagyo, Bhavatyeva, Jitendriya. Uh -huh. He says that someone who understands the essence of this Kama Sutra and Raksha, and Raksha means to protect, Raksha, Dharma, Arta, they, they protect 
dharma, artha, kama, lust, by stittim swam loka vartinam, by loka vartinam means their, their dealings in society, that person is going to become jitendriya. He's going mm. to become a master of his senses. In other words, this is the purpose of Kama Sutra. But people have gotten it all wrong. Now, to come back to the point you, you both of you made a few times, then what has this got to do with us? Huh? Uh, Karun Avatar, who you're asking, so if somebody wants to become a devotee, does it mean maybe they should read Kama Sutra and there's some other similar literatures or come and, and, and study some of the, the uh, sculptures at Konark and whatever? <laughs> because, you know, hey, you know, we, we should just be honest, right? <laughs> I just who I am. It reminds me of another subject, and this is my own personal take on this right now. Uh, mm. First of all, let's put it in this particular box. Shila Bhakti Siddhanta, he said that, that uh, we can understand the fruit of something by the, uh, we can understand something by the fruit that it gives. Felina mm. Paricite. Mm. So, what is let's I want to look at the fruit uh, of this Rathiatra Kata. I want to look at the fruit mm. of this these erotic sculptures on on the temple in Konark. And let's do it through the perspective of Chaitanya Charitamrita, <coughs> a verse which Kaviraj Goswami quotes from Padma Purana, which is also quoted by Jiva Goswami in his Tattva Sandarbha. Vyamohaya Chara Charas Jagataste Puranagamas. Tam tam eva hi deva temparami kam jalpantu kalpavadi Siddhante puna eka eva bhagavan vishnu samastagama Vyapareshu vivechena vatikaram niteshu nishchiyate Before I, I, actually before I get into explaining this verse a little bit um, I, re I read a lot of different things. We have a library, we have Every Purana we can find, we have so many different types of books in it. And I remember the first time that I read the Linga Purana, I was very taken aback. It speaks about Lord Vishnu, and it says that Lord Vishnu actually doesn't exist. And Linga Purana is one of the 18 major Puranas. It says that Lord Vishnu doesn't exist. He's just a dream of Lord Shiva. And that mm. kind of gave me a little bit of a stomach ache. You know, I, I didn't... Uh, Ooh, lost. Just a moment. Thanks, everyone, for being with us. This is a super fascinating discussion. Madhavananda Prabhu is sharing so graciously. Uh, he'll come back. <clears throat> I'm saying I'm trying to look up that verse. He said it was mentioned in Tata Sundarva, too. Uh, no, no. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're hey, back. Harry Krishnapu. Yeah, you were you you made this. Uh, oh goodness, what was the last thing you said about this you verse of Linga Purana? Yes, Linga yes, Purana. Yes. Yeah, getting a stomach ache. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, come on, we're we're trained. I'm just coming from the West. I don't know. I joined the Bhakta program, and everybody told me Krishna's too Bhagavan Swayam, and everybody accepts Krishna. And then I read in the Linga Purana that, that Lord He doesn't exist. Lord Vishnu doesn't exist. And what do I? How do I deal with that? So then I, I came across this verse in Chaitanya Charitamrita. Vyamohaya charat charasya. Vyamohaya means uh, vy, vyamoha means to bewilder. 
to increase the illusion and ignorance. Chara-charasya means of all the living entities, chara and chara-charasya means we're moving and non-moving uh, in this world. All these different Puranas are given and all the different Agama Shastras and they're given to help people have faith in a particular devata. And each one of these literatures says that their particular devata is the supreme. Right. And if you read the Linga Purana, it says that, that Lord Shiva, he's the best. And Lord Vishnu, he's just a dream or whatever. But the purpose is to bewilder them and uh, to help them come a little close to real Vedic culture. So this is what I call the proximity factor. And let me give you another example of this. Prabhupada once asked the devotees, who is better, a vegetarian Christian or a worshiper of Kali who eats meat? Uh. Uh, yeah, maybe I'm not putting exactly the way Prabhupada said it, but something like that. And the devotees said something, oh, a vegetarian Christian probably said no. The worshiper of Kali, because at least he's in the Vedic tradition. And that's right. all the Prabhupada said that I recall. But reading through these different Puranas, even Linga Purana, there's this very crazy statement I just mentioned. But there's other statements that say things like, if you're a devotee of Lord Shiva, you should never criticize Vishnu. And Vishnu is very great. And, and Vishnu is mentioned a lot. So if you read Linga Purana, you don't have faith. In Vishnu, you're in the mode of ignorance, which is why you're attracted to Lord Shiva in this particular Purana. But you're reading this Purana, and you're going to be reading also names of Vishnu, maybe Krishna, which will purify you, and you'll be hearing something about them. You may even get some curiosity. Well, what does it say about him in the Vishnu Purana, or the Padma Purana, or the Bhagavatam? They, out of curiosity, someday they may. They may read that thing. That's what I call the proximity factor. So I don't know. I can't claim that I haven't seen anybody who says they know why they put these erotic sculptures on the temples. We can make another comment. They're in Shipley Shastra. When the Shastras just talk about building temples and making doors and carvings and things, they mention these erotic things that should be there. But they don't explain why. So uh, my point is Felina Parichate. Let's judge something by the fruit. So someone who's very lusty, the, the only opportunity they're going to get to uh, hear something like, like this is to, or to see something like this is to go to the Konark Temple. And they're going to go to the Konark Temple, and they're going to see this, this, this attitude is right above the animals. But above that is the demigods. And then here's Lord, here's Lord uh, Suryadev. And, and here's Lord Jagannath. You go to the Jagannath Mandir. The Alarnath Temple in Brahmagiri also has some sexual postures on the outside. It's always embarrassing when we take devotees around. Oh, my God. <laughs> Looking at that thing. You're like, hello, some... I'm still giving class here. <laughs> <laughs> some people will be attracted by that. And we can say maybe it'll, it'll, it'll weed out the bad people. They'll stay outside. I, I don't look at it like that. I look at it like the proximity factor. Mm -hmm. I look at it in the same way that, that the, the reason why the Vedic literatures give the Linga Purana and the Shiva Purana is to help bring people into the ballpark of, of Vedic, the Vedic pantheon where Vishnu is mentioned and Krishna and things, and they can get a little purified, a little interested in something higher. That By that proximity factor, they'll get something more.
And so if they go to the Juggernaut Temple, and, and, and they're, they're, these are very graphic sculptures in a very conservative society, this is their only chance to see this kind of stuff. They may indeed want to go and look. And as sooner or later, they might be interested, well, what's inside? <laughs> and who are the sadhus and what do they believe in who worship this guy who's inside, this, this Lord Juggernaut? Mm. So they, there's some purpose to that, the proximity factor with the Kama Sutra. Vatsayana uh, Muni, Muni, he understood, Vatsayana Muni understood that there's some people who want to hear about all these sex postures and stuff. Okay, fine. So here's a book. This is the book with all the postures and stuff in it. But then he, he tells them, I'm a brahmachari. And the purpose of writing this book is to teach people not to give up sex life. So that's the proximity factor. It brings them in. There's some hope for everyone. So I reconciled these topics, uh, Karuna Avatar Prabhu, several times you've asked, so we're coming from a Prabhupada background, Prabhupada said certain things, and maybe we were doing it uh, in, in a cheating kind of way, or as Jai Jagannath was saying, it's kind of a schism in our brain, you know, it, it's not really being thoroughly honest. And so then at some point we hear about all this stuff and we think, okay, man, that's it. I'm going to, I'm Kama Sutra, here I come. <laughs> and, with it, and I've seen devotees, honestly, Hare Krishna, who, who go like that. And I think right. it's a shame because Jiva Goswami, or excuse me, Vishnu Chakrabarti Thakwa says, higher than the Kama Sutras are the Arta Sutras. And higher hmm. than the Arta Sutras are the Dharma Sutras. Higher than the Dharma Sutras are, are the Mukti Shastras, the, the literatures about liberation, the Upanishads, etc. And then higher than those literatures are the Bhakti Shastras. So hmm. what Srila Prabhupada has done, he's taken us from a mode of ignorance situation, a very, very bad background, and he's just tried to bring us to the topmost thing. And it's worked. It's worked in a lot of ways. As Jai Jagannath was saying, we look at look at personalities like Jayananda Prabhu, you know, who came from. The, he wasn't such a lusty person, I don't think, ever in his life. But he he, I, I accept Jayananda Prabhu as an exalted Mahabhagavat. But he he wasn't coming from this Indian tradition originally. So I, I think I see this as with Prabhupada's idea with with Vanashram also the proximity factor. Mm. Let people come and, and associate with devotees, but the devotees should maintain their purity. And, and, and let the Bhupama Sutra, let those things be there. That, that's my humble take on it. Jai, do you, have any, do you have any final points, any final questions? I don't have any final, final questions. Maybe I do have a final point. I'm reminded of this article, I think. It's from Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur. Um, called Sri Garanga Samaj, the Society of Sri Garanga. It's a, I think it's a pretty famous article, and he's he's writing about who should be included in the Society of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And on at the top of the tier are, are the pure devotees. But he says even people who think Mahaprabhu is just a social reformer, they are also included in the Society of Lord Chaitanya. And then he goes on as far as to say that even if a person comes to a program. That was arranged by devotees of Sri Chaitanya. They should also be included as part of the society of Sri Chaitanya. His only caveat is that such a society, at the helm of it, has to be the pure devotees. And so, kind of what I'm hearing from you, Madhavananda, is like the proximity factor. Provided there's like a pure core, then there are different. You know, when you're going out away from that core, 
you know, towards the periphery, there are different layers. And mm. but they're all having proximity to something that's very pure and mm. wonderful and absolute mm. beauty. And by the proximity factor in slow degrees, they can mm. move closer and closer to that core central. And that makes it all reconciled and very beautiful and very wonderful. And yeah, uh, yeah. That's me reflecting. I don't know if I'm reflecting. That's beautiful. I wanna I just want to add to that and then we'd like to just hear some some closing statements or remarks from Madhavananda Prabhu. But just what's coming together for me there, I was actually just about to ask this question, Madhavananda Prabhu. I was about to ask like um you know, you were saying that Srila Prabhupada genuinely had this vision and this faith that he could bring the highest thing to an Asuric society, basically, and that it be genuinely received and that people would genuinely become Krishna conscious and go back to Godhead in this lifetime. Um, that was Srila Prabhupada's faith in his mission. But then, you know, you were mentioning someone like Jayananda Prabhu, and then I'm also just thinking of other great souls, you know, like Vishnujan Maharaj and, and whoever else there may be. But then the thought that came up for me when you were mentioning their names is, these people are the exception. Like, these people are great, great souls that are genuinely on a different level. So the question that came up for me then was, can you say that what Srila Prabhupada has brought has worked in general for everyone? Has it really worked kind of like across the board? But then what clicked for me as Jai was just reflecting now is that actually um, we don't need it to work immediately for everyone because if we have really like intelligently designed communities and structures of sadhu sangha where these great souls who are genuinely experiencing the the true essence of bhakti are kind of like able to share that with others and where that is then where it's then gradually through the proximity factor spread out then then we've got it then we've got it going on um but just yeah the sadhu sangha elements and just really having very tight-knit communities where where people have constant access to good association that, that that's just kind of what came together for me beautiful at the end <laughs> yeah, uh, one, yeah one thing that i'm i'm walking away from all this discussion in retrospect in my life what I was like before growing up in, in a very liberal kind of family and in America and not following principles and things and then coming to India and seeing all these things is that I need to be very broad-minded. Yeah, that's what I'm getting. And, and I, I, I shouldn't judge people so quickly. And what to speak of judging them, I shouldn't reject them. Mm. They, they have some position, but as even in the Bible, I think it's in the Bible somewhere, we hate the sin and not the sinner. So I, we don't like certain principles and we want to stay away from that. I, I would prefer to stay away from pornography. I would encourage people like that. But at the same time, some people are attracted by that. And better they do that and offer it to Krishna. Mm. That's, that's a whole other topic, which Jiva yeah, Goswami also that are ropes about. to the bhakti. We need to do an episode with you on that because I got whole sorts of questions about that. <laughs> I think Hari Hari speaks about that quite a bit. He may have spoke yeah. some about it. It's one of his favorite topics, I know, and he's well versed in the subject too. That yeah. we can offer things. We should offer everything to Krishna in a conscious way. I, I mean. Oh. 
that's okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we lost you for a yeah. second. Okay, yeah. back. So I, I don't know that Garuda is eating boga. Does he offer those kind of things? That doesn't mean someone will say, oh, my God, you can't offer fish to Krishna. No, you can't. But at the same time, you can. it's not that Krishna is going to accept it. You can offer it, but Krishna doesn't want that. And we shouldn't offer that to, to our Gurudev, but we should offer everything to Krishna. And this is a culture. And I think this is Prabhupada. You were asking about this thing. Did Prabhupada's system work? I think in some ways someone could make an argument. I don't claim to try to understand Prabhupada's mind and heart, but someone could make an argument that Prabhupada felt a little discouraged at the end based on his Vanasham walks talks that he gave and saying things like, they're not Vaishnavas. Because the devotee said, well, Prabhupada, we're Vaishnavas. And Prabhupada said, They're not, you're not Vaishnavas. You're not chanting Hare Krishna. Mm. And Prabhupada wanted something even for people who are not following principles or eating meat and that. But you have to have the core purity there. If we don't have that, then it just becomes completely meaningless. It's such a very, very important thing. So the proximity factor may be there. We may have on the outside of the building some pornography, but Krishna has to be on the inside, and there should be some proper worship. Right. That's kind of, that that statement says everything. <laughs> yes, that's it really that's like the whole podcast in one sentence. <laughs> Thank you, Prabhu. Oh, perfect summary. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> oh, Krishna. Prabhu, thank you so much. Thank you so much for giving us your time, uh, for sharing so graciously and enthusiastically uh, your perspective. It was really, really an honor to to meet you today, for, in, in my case, for the first time. And, and just in coming and sharing with everyone, I'm sure that our audience is also very grateful. Okay, I want something from both of you guys. Yes, Jai from- Jagannath has given me a little bit before, but I want more from Jai Jagannath also. I want you guys sometime to come to Jagannath Puri. And you come take prasadam with us here. Yes, probably. We have some long talks in person. I like it so much better. Please, absolutely. If our if the government, you know, (laughs) stops this little overreach program that it's doing right now, I'm I'm there for it. I'm totally there for it. Yeah, Jai and I are we're we're conspiring to meet in in India together. Then we'll definitely visit you, Prabhu. Jai Jagannath came for our yatra in, in January one year with Donnarumma. Yes. He was a great, great contributor, kirtan and, and comments he made and things. You'd be also really very welcome. But what I want to start doing also, aside from our yatra, is I want to have talks with people mm. like we're doing today mm. online in person. And sometimes we have different scholars and people, even shockingly, who are outside of ISKCON, Hare Krishna, come to our ashram. <laughs> and we have talks and we do it in front of all, with all the devotees being there. Beautiful. And it's so, for me, it gives a message that we want to connect with so many people. We want to be friends with people. We want to mm. learn from different people. Mm. It's Absolutely. such an important thing. I'm learning things from you guys today. And thank you so much. I, I really love what you're doing. This Honest Man's podcast is brilliant. Thank, Thank you, you so for much for your blessings. We live for that. Hare Krishna, everybody. Uh, we appreciate your your support. Um, we'll end the broadcast now. Madhavananda Prabhu, you can just stay on just for a second. Hari, Hari.